Hello and welcome to Cody and a Corbin have a podcast, the show where two former roommates talk about a roommates. new movie every week. This week on the show, we're talking about Dune. My planet Arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low. Rolling over the sands, you can see spice in the air. The outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. The 2021 Dune from Denis Villeneuve. I'm your host, Corbin Zavokal, and as always, I'm joined by my sandworm-like co-host, Cody Webb. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I'm a sandworm or something, but uh, yeah, interesting intro, but Corbin, do you know what episode this is, dude? It's episode one of <laughs> season, season three. three. Oh my goodness. We're on the third season of the show. It's unfathomable to me. Unfathomable, whatever the word is. But uh, yeah, man, we've uh, we've been doing this for a little while now, and uh, I'm jacked for the third season. Yeah, season three, we got some new categories. We uh, introed one of them in the season finale of season two with Jackson and Carter. But we also have a couple things that are going to be surprises for you guys today. So why don't we just go ahead and get to into it? I had the first pick, so let me talk about why I chose Dune. Why? 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 And then uh, maybe Cody can say uh, if he was w- a willing participant in the uh, in the watching of the movie or not. <clears throat> so I figured season three opener, I wanted to go back to our roots a little bit. In season one, we did Gone Girl for the very first episode. And kind of the reasoning behind that was I'd been trying to get Cody to watch Gone Girl for months. I'd, every time I bring it up, Cody say no. And I figured we've been, we haven't, if you're a fan of the show, you know, Cody has yet to see Dune up until this past weekend. So I figured what better time than the season over to finally make this dude watch a movie. So we went Dune, obviously on top of that, it was just recently nominated for best picture. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty topical movie right now. So I figured it's, it's finally time for Cody to watch it. Cody was visiting this weekend. So I said, we're going to sit down on the projector and watch Dune. That is all true. Yeah, you had to drag me down to Purdue just to watch this movie. But uh, no, I'm joking. I think it's actually a good pick for me. Up. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, don't start that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is a good pick from you. Obviously, it was a movie that I had wanted to watch. Uh, you know, obviously, Denis one of my favorite working directors. And it's an all-star cast, and it's got good reviews, and it's nominated for an Oscar, blah, 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 blah. Go on and on and on. But I mean... Right when I get HBO Max, they just tore it right off. So that's the that's what I'm really blinding here today. But I'd say it's definitely a good pick from you. I mean, uh, I haven't seen it before, and it's very topical. So, yeah, I, I back what you're saying. Uh, you want to move on? Any other initial thoughts you have to share? Good morning, Vietnam! Oh, I love initial thoughts. <laughs> uh, we might be here for a while. but Let's get into I it. Think, yeah, I think off of that uh here's a precursor because a lot of what i say might uh not seem uh that i think this in the end but i do this is a good movie um this is a very well-made movie a lot of a lot of good actors in it a lot of good people behind the scenes and i do enjoy it uh 100 the thing off the bat is i do want to rewatch it just because there's so much going on there's so much lore behind this book as well. Uh, it is a book. This is a book, in my opinion. Uh, 
uh, just a you know, I'm just gonna spew off the mouth here. Like this is just one half of the book. So I don't know what to think about it because it's like good I've math. Seen good half- math. I like it. <laughs> I've seen half a movie, and it was an interesting, interesting half of the movie. But that's not a really movie in my eyes. A movie's got a beginning, it's got a middle, it's got an end. This is a beginning and it, it has a middle. There's no like definitive ending where it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, things happen, obviously, and there is an ending. It's but... like we we had like a, a little mini climax in this film. Yeah. And then things like slowed down a little bit, but then like we're building to like something so much greater. 100%. And I think when you probably push the, the part two and this one together, it will be much more cohesive obviously and, and uh i'll probably enjoy that experience more if i just binge watch both those but um anyways i also think this might be one of the most oh i do want to go back to my first point actually i'm sorry season three baby we back um but first off i mean the amount of story threads in this movie i don't even know well, let's just recount some of them as quickly as we can obviously first off you have you know sort of the game of thrones dynamic where it's all about the family name and, you know, it's family versus family who can, you know, last a long Atreides. Then you also have, you know, the Star Wars action to it. You have an emperor, you have space travel, you have, you know, mining planets for, for resources, all that good stuff. And the, and the then, emperor storyline is like so complex because it's like he makes one move in order to make another move to pit the two houses against each other. And like, it's also calculating and, nobody that's involved is fully like aware of all the calculations that the emperor are doing and not even the audience. Yeah. I mean, my question is where the fuck's the emperor, but uh, we'll we'll get that later. But I mean, then as well, that's, that's what I thought the gist of the movie was, but it's really not about that at all. If I'm being honest, it's more about, you know, a Messiah. Is he a fake Messiah? Is he a real Messiah? And it's hidden society behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, this whole sisterhood, which I do think is interesting. I just didn't know shit about it coming in. So I think it's just like... I think that was like the place you were most confused, right? Like the whole Bene Gesserit. (laughs) I couldn't even process half of it because it was going so quickly. I mean, I'm an idiot, to be fair. But, I mean, coming in cold to a movie like this is so difficult just because of all the lore behind it. I do think the themes are super interesting. And I I think if I watch it again, it'll obviously be a lot better. But I think in the grand scheme of things, maybe you could have split this up into three movies. I don't fucking know. You probably could have done it in one, too, and got whatever the 80s version was. But, uh, yeah, I have more thoughts, but I'll throw it over to you. <laughs> kind of random let the fucking chop here, but go for it. I mean, I agree with everything you said. Uh, I think the first thing I said when I walked out of that movie for the first time seeing it in theaters was, I think that was a really good movie. Like one of my, I mean, it was my favorite movie of last year um straight up it was my favorite movie i thought it was so good then i was like the second movie the sequel to this might be one of the greatest movies of all time like that's where the expectations are set because this is so good and it's only half a movie it's not a complete story so so my thinking is like if this is in done right to this level of quality the second part i think could be like one of my favorites of all time but i think this just like because it's it like you said it's half a movie it's part one and it wasn't even really advertised as just being a part one. They didn't know if they were going to even be able to make part two. It wasn't officially greenlit by Warner brothers because this is the state of fucking movies. We don't know if a $300 million movie about some science fiction novel from 1965 is going to do well enough in theaters. And 
it really didn't make that much money in theaters, but there was the HBO max of it all. Uh, same day release. A lot of people chose to stay home. There's a pandemic. Luckily it made enough to be greenlit and to be guaranteed uh, opening in theaters. You know, I don't know if that's good or bad for me. It, it's a complex topic. We talked about it on the last show, but I don't know. There's just, it's half a movie. Like you said, that's, that's really my like main thing. Uh, obviously it's very expansive. It's an impressive feat. I don't know many directors that could take on something of this level. There's, there's a couple that I think could maybe handle it, but for the most part, like there's, this is like the fact that this didn't get nominated for best director is insane to me because it is the most impressive of all the movies. I think in the last 10 years, like directorially, he's managing two different teams in different countries on these huge sets out in the desert. And this insane storyline that doesn't make sense on the surface and, and putting all these parts together an incredible score, crazy production design, some of the best VFX of all time, all into one, like you need a general, you need a, a master of the craft to be able to handle it. That's what the director does. He manages all those parts and it, it's impressive. And it will, you know, the man got snubbed. I got to say it right here. Yeah, no, uh, I love the passion, man. I, I probably back that to me. He always deserves better. The Academy doesn't respect. I think, I think it's going to be a, a Peter Jackson, you know, Lord of the Rings. The Dune part two is going to maybe sweep the Academy Awards. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. Um, I, the thing is, I, I agree with most of what you're saying, but I don't think this is a masterpiece by any means. Um, my one big thing that I really dislike about it is I think it's a little bit overly intense and sometimes overacted, which isn't a bad thing. But... I think there's one person in particular that <laughs> is at the forefront of it <laughs> that maybe but, is I mean, acting a little too much. <laughs> this is like a serious movie, obviously. It, it's, right, a drama. Right. it's a straight up drama. There's there's not much you know fun, funny or fun stuff about this. Like this is just war. These are people trying to survive. And, you know, the intensity is going to be there. But, yeah, I, I think some made some interesting choices. I think directorially, if that's a word, also there were some interesting choices just uh, with the adaptation and everything. But I'm sure we'll, we'll get into everything here. But overall, yeah, definitely, definitely a solid flick here. All right. So now we're going to move on to our next category, which is a new category. Right at the top, roll the credits roll credits so for this new category it, it encompasses a couple different things first of all uh the title of the movie does the title of the movie appear in a film you know that's something that's always interesting and in clueless when she says oh she's so clueless like oh hey roll the credits there's clueless right so we'll talk about that when it comes to movies and then also the like the actual credits so the opening title cards and credits that roll at the end uh, it, it encompasses a couple different things maybe if the the title card comes in later, just different stuff like that uh, that could be interesting. So, Cody, you want to take it away from the top? Roll credits for the very first time. Yeah, I'll lead off. Uh, <laughs> funny enough, I- I'm sort of talking about what- where you're interesting. This, I feel like uh, this category is a fun one because you can go a lot of different ways with it. And um, I just wanted to talk a- about off the bat, uh, you know, what Dune, that actual word means to the story because mm. – you could correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't believe it's said in the movie. No, wrong? they don't say it. They don't say it. But Dune is the name of the planet, essentially. Yeah. But it's yeah. the name they use is Arrakis, which I think is the 
Fremen word. I, I don't know the native word, but Dune is like a colloquial term for the planet that they're on. Right. It's it's literally just the setting of the movie, which I think is a cool title. And, and there are dunes. There are a lot of sand dunes, and uh, you know you see Timmy and and uh, what's her face, Rebecca uh, Ferguson. Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah, I was gonna say Rachel McAdams. That's definitely wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're running around dunes all day. So I do the title, and I'll throw it over to you for the credits. Um, I do have another interesting, like just a knee fact about his, all of his titles, but I want to hear about like the opening and, and the end. So, so I think the big thing. I already addressed it. You go to the movie, goes up, Dune, part one. Yeah. (laughs) No marketing material whatsoever anywhere else, like, identified it as being a part one. It was really strange. Why not just advertise it as part one? People know what they're getting. I know, like, specifically uh, one person that I listen to a lot, their podcast, Sean Fennessy, Big Picture. He was, like, visibly mad when he sat down and was like, this is a part one. You know, I wasn't mad, but. (laughs) Yeah. I, hey, that's I was, a surprise right like yeah i was like what the hell? I, I did not expect that at all in the like the first couple shots of the movie it's like oh part one sick gotta watch the sequel now <laughs> and then the uh the other thing that that actually happens right before dune part one and it, it's literally like the first second of the movie you get uh in a, in a language that is not english a message set that says dreams are messages from the deep which I think thematically obviously comes up later uh, with the dreams that Timmy's having, you know, are they visions of the future? You know, some things that he sees don't come true, but sometimes they do come true, right? He sees Zendaya. She obviously appears later. He, he sees Duncan Idaho dying. Uh, Spoiler alert. uh, Jason Momoa gets the can. Uh, And then, I mean, he also sees himself reacting with that Jamis character and having a good kind like relationship with him. And obviously that dude wants to kill him and he ends up killing him later in the movie. So, you know, dreams are messages from the deep, but what do they mean? It kind of whole plays into the insi- Messiah of it all. Do you have any thoughts about that, Cody? Yeah. It's and the language is, is Sardaukar, which is the language of the army that comes and kills him or kills all their people, basically. Yeah. I, I like that. I mean, uh, the more detail and sort of that stuff you, you put into a movie like that, I, I think that's super interesting. Uh, Denis, uh, obviously he does his research and that is an interesting call off the bat too because it's sort of like is he seeing the future i mean he, he sort of is but at the same time he's sort of not so yeah i don't know i mean the thing about this movie as well is the more you think about it like the deeper and deeper you can go into it which is something i do like a lot that's why i think a rewatch will, will be fun but i mean off the bat i think a, a quote like that is definitely a good table setter for for the first act yeah absolutely what do you want to add to that about Denis' credits? Uh, yeah, basically, I mean, Denis has a weird thing where the majority of his movies all have one-word titles. Um, there is one glaring exception. Do you know what the exception is? Well, I know two accept- exceptions, but yeah. <laughs> Let's rattle them off. Let's go, Filmbo. Uh, well, there's Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, that's the obvious one. And What's then the he has a film called Anson D's, which... Is that one word? I th- I think I thought it was two words. Uh, I don't know. It's it is even. one word. It is. His, it 2010. It's one word. Okay, there you go. Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, Blade Runner. I think it's just because he was he was forced into that title, likely, from, from studio corruption. But, I mean, he's got rival. He's got prisoners, enemy. Doom, Sicario. Sicario, yeah. I think that's super dope. And just the one word title, in my opinion, 
that's the best sort of title. Uh, you got these, you know, movies nowadays going, oh, uh, three billboards outside. Blah, blah, blah. How many goddamn words can you No time to die. <laughs> I mean, dude, just make it Spider Man, no way home. Yes, the, the Spider Man titles are stupid as hell as well. But I mean, just give me something simple. Give me Doom. Give me E.T. Give me Jaws. You know what you're getting into, and you don't need Star else. Wars. <laughs> That's two words, Garvin. Uh, but yeah, but you know, it's to the point. Two syllables. You have to break it though. With I mean, it's got to be what Dune Part Two. What are they going to call a sequel? Yeah, o- Ocean. Because I mean, the the title of the book, to be fair, is Dune. So it's not like he took any creative liberties there. But uh, he yeah. did choose this. This was you know his passion project for a really long time. So he he was dedicated to the one word title. They should name it like Spice or something, something, something different than Dune, I think. But don't ask. Yeah, me. the next. So his plan is he wants to adapt. He wants to make three movies, mm-hmm. um, and he wants to make two movies out of the first book and then adapt the th- the second book, which I believe is called Dune Messiah, uh, into spoiler. the third movie. That's just the title of the book. I don't think <laughs> it's a spoiler. Uh, yeah. So. He'll, you know, Dune Part Two, but maybe he'll just call it. Maybe he'll just still just call it Dune and all the yeah. book. Like, <laughs> Probably. What about I, I like Two I, Dune to Curious Dooney, <laughs> Too Sandy, Two Dune Twos and there. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> Let's move on to a classic category: stupidest part. You stupid. Since you just said Zendaya's name, I gotta bring up where the fuck is Zendaya in this movie? We got Zendaya baited. All the marketing. If you take like the percentage that she's in, I mean, how prominent she is on the poster, how much she's in the trailer, and you take that to her actual screen time, I don't actually have that pulled up, but it's less than 10 minutes, right? I mean, she also pretty much only appears in Visions. She only shows up as a real person in, in the final, you know, couple minutes. What are, you, what are your thoughts on this, Cody? Yeah, that was the first thing on my list as well. I don't know why there's like 50s and day of visions and, you know, all of them are the exact same thing where she's just looking cool. How, in the I mean, how much was she on set? Like fucking two weeks, Max? She barely put I'd any say, work. She got a cool little paycheck, though. I'd say maybe less. Oh, she got paid big time for this, too. I mean, seven minutes, cool. seven minutes. Really? How long is the movie? Like two and a half hours? She did it Over. For seven minutes? That is crazy. But she got she got big time payday for this. And um, as well, I, I, just her, all the vision This says she only got $300,000. I don't buy that. But all but, her fucking marketing materials, they, that's where they made their money. I guess so. Um, but yeah, all the visions are pretty much the same as well. It's just her looking cool. And then one time she just stabs him for no reason, which, you know, maybe that happens in the second part. And that, that's like a cool throwback. But if not, that's pretty fucking stupid. Um <laughs> But I do have a couple others as well. The main gripe I, I have is with that doctor guy who, who sold him out. What do you think about that guy, Gordon? Um, I, you know, his, fam- his family, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what did he think was going to happen when he, you know, betrayed the whatever, the Tyrells? Uh, that's not their name. I mean, yeah, he's not very smart. Atreides is their name. <laughs> Game of Thrones. Um, no, but I mean that guy. I feel like that doesn't make any sense in any any scope of a plan. Like you're gonna turn him over to the fish guy and expect not to get killed by him. I don't know. And uh, you know, leading into that segment, what the fuck's going on with this fish guy? I don't understand. I I didn't read the books. I didn't do any research. So he's not a. He he's just a fish. 
he just he's, floats. He's swimming he's, around on air. He's like a fat guy who floats. He, and then he just wears a long cloak, so it looks like he has like a snake body, but he, he just floats. What, is there no explanation? He just floats. He has like the ability to float. I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm not an expert. I'm not. Okay. You, you keep John. All right. I mean, just the, he looks like a fish and a little bit of a snake. And uh, somehow he survives the poison as well. He just swims to the top of the room and holds his breath for presumably like three days. Um, yeah. He's also, he just like camping out in some sludge or something. Uh, no, he was basically, okay. So the, the answer, he's so fat, he can't hold himself up. So he wears this thing that floats him around and he uses oh. it to like make it menacing. It's not very menacing, I'm not going to lie. But I do like his, his hangouts. He's in that, like, that weird fog pit at the beginning. That was kind of sick. And then just straight up just sludge, black sludge at the end, uh, you know, recuperating. I'm sure intaking all of that uh, nutrients from there. Uh, yeah, that that's definitely one of the, my qualms with the movie. I don't think the villain is super strong or interesting. Obviously, Stellan Skarsgård sure he had a lot of notes from the writers and the directors on how to play this based off of what was in the the novel and everything but i, I don't know it's just not interesting to me at all the the dave batista family i feel like didn't get much of a rap in this that's probably because they're not the big bads and we just haven't seen the big bads yet but i thought that was one of the the weaker points in the movie sure um what do you think about the relationship between uh Timmy and his mother. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's definitely a strange one. Obviously, you got secret cults and you know alliances being tested of a possible messiah. I believe she wasn't even supposed to have a, a son, so she's kind of going against her whole order there. And um, there's some yeah. weird there's some yeah. weird interactions though. Like you, you know what I'm saying? What do you mean, like sexually? Yeah, there's like some weird sexual tension there, right? Is there? I think I've definitely seen other people talking about it online. Maybe uh, like one scene, yeah. I I, I don't know. I, <laughs> what do you think? Is there sexual chemistry between those two? I I think they're playing it that way because I think I think there might be some subtext there in the novel. I mean, I don't know. Oedipus is is thriving. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's his mom. I don't know. I I wasn't really paying attention too much to that, I guess. But if you say so, I believe you. <laughs> you got nothing <laughs> that's all i got what do you think uh, about the, what do you think about the weird voice thing i want to hear your thoughts on that we haven't talked about that so it's just like this power that the people can do that's it you had no thoughts on it i think it's stupid okay <laughs> what's wrong with it it's basically the force right yeah it's basically just ex machina whatever the fuck you want i mean hey oh we're we're trapped in a helicopter with some goons Hey, uh, drop the fucking gun. Uh, hey, you know, uh, you know, Timmy Shalmay is having issues with his life. Hey, hey don't fucking do that. <laughs> I don't know. It, it seems like the, the ultimate cop out of it can get you out of any situation at any time. But I don't know. I, I think it's more just plot driven than an actual cool thing like the Force. Uh, I don't know. I think it's supposed to be pretty heavily integrated into the plot. So maybe it'll, you'll feel better about it after part two. <laughs> Uh, speaking of the force, I think one drawback of this movie is that the original source material has influenced so many things in modern day that have done it so well and expanded upon it and made it 
more accessible or more interesting than maybe this is. Whereas like, it almost makes this worse because we've seen Star Wars that like made something that's like very similar, took a lot of the themes. This The birth of science fiction happened with Dune. But maybe it did some things better, especially like making it easy to get into and like making it like Star Wars has so much shit in its world, but it's still super accessible to people of all ages. Well, I think Dune is expansive, but it's it's hard to get into, right? Like it, it's there's so much there. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? No, I agree with that 100%. That was sort of um, a precursor to my initial thoughts, naming off all those things. I mean, <laughs> being that this novel came out in, what, 1965, um, obviously it influenced other stuff. But, I mean, I saw all of that other stuff first. Like, it's literally The Matrix, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, all wrapped into one, which is sick. But at points, I was in my head going, oh, they're just doing... Oh, Oh, he's the one from the Matrix. So that, that's kind of that's kind of 1999, not really 2020. And they stole from the Bible too. They did steal from the Bible, and that's uh, you know, as old as it gets. But uh, <laughs> you know, that's probably fair game by now. The Bible's got to be in public domain by now, right? <laughs> but yeah, I, I think agree. it's I think the I think it's been used a couple times. Yeah, just a few. <laughs> I do agree with what you're saying because you know, if I had read this back in 1965, I probably would have been like oh, the Matrix, it's a hack. It's just ripping off, dude. But the other way around, it, it's sort of tough to, you know, find that perspective of this did come first, but I'm seeing it much later than all, everything else it influenced. Let's talk all the Star Wars similarities real quick. <laughs> so obviously you have the Emperor. You yeah. have a, a boy on a sand planet with two sons and some interesting people that are on the planet and that are kind of Middle Eastern representatives. So saying like the Tuscan Raiders and then the Fremen people in this. Uh, got a you've dead got dad. A dead dad. You've got the <laughs> force. Obviously the boy is some sort of Messiah figure almost. He's the chosen one. That comes to play a little bit more in later Star Wars, obviously. Um, I mean, there's a ton there. The, the influences are clear. George Lucas has made it very like known that Dune was a heavy influence on the world he wanted to create. Um, it's cool to think about though. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, there's a lot uh, of similarities, and I think that is cool. Like, George Lucas sort of uh, just babied the story down a little bit and made it more mainstream, which, you know, worked a, worked a lot uh, like for him. So more power to him, but, yeah, the, the original is a little bit more intense. All right, let's move on to favorite scene. She is very gorgeous to me. Cody, what's your favorite scene? I have a couple. Uh, my first one off the bat, just visually, the attack um, on Arrakis. I think it's, you know, <laughs> I, I just love the the couple shots of Josh Brolin, you know, pulling up and everything's just exploding in the background. You know, shades of Michael Bay from Denis there. But, I mean, visually, very awesome. Also, just the fighting styles and sort of the construction of the armies, I think, is really interesting. Uh, that specific scene on the stairs where they're pushing everybody down and then they get sandwiched, obviously. But I think that's just very interesting just from a, you know, sort of style perspective and in, in how to show a fight. Um, and then, I mean, also, like, Jason Momoa and Josh Brolin, these dudes are absolute animals. Like, I could watch these guys, you know, hack people with swords all day. So, I mean, that's definitely one of the more, you know, fun scenes in the movie, I would say. Just, you know, straight up, absolute uh, fist fight. What do you think about the shields in this movie, in this universe? 
Yeah, uh, you know, they're all right. Uh, it, it is interesting how different they would, would use it. I mean, this is what the year, like, I don't know, 5,000 or something stupid. So It's like yeah. 10,000, but then also according to, like, the, the lore that, like, that was 10,000 years after some other shit. So really, it's, like, right. insanely far into the future. Yeah, I mean... The whole point is that, like, they've basically advanced to where they don't use guns anymore because guns move too fast like bullets move too fast they have to use slow striking to like break the shields because otherwise they can't break them yeah i mean the thing with the shields is as well um maybe i just don't understand them but i mean they don't work very well (laughs) right they're not very successful you can get through them it it seems like pretty easily so i I do like the the visual concept uh, of them and i think in theory it also is very interesting but I just don't know how effective they, they actually are, you know. That's fair. So my favorite scene is the uh, what's in the box scene. <laughs> really? Uh, I really think it's just like, I think it's the the best showcase of everything at once. Uh, the editing is super snappy and on par there. You get to go back between Paul and then his mom standing outside the door. Jessica, she's talking back and forth basically like talking Paul through the whole experience, even though she's not in the room. I think it's Timothy's best acting in the whole movie, uh, which isn't saying a lot, but I think he does the pain really well. Uh, It's cool to see like the dream sequences get interlaced in there as well. And then like the score cuts in like right as those dream sequences begin to happen. And you get to hear that like iconic Hans Zimmer score. Um, I think the words that Jessica are saying are, are really important and pivotal so I just think, like, all together, it's the most interesting to me. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, that probably wouldn't have been my pick, but I do like some of the things you're saying. My other pick favorite scene um, is when Timmy gets his first uh, taste of the old spice. And uh, sort of what you were saying, uh, some interesting dream sequences along the way. But, yeah, I just think that whole sequence as well is it, pretty cool. Obviously, um, they were set up to fail with the whole manufacturing spice thing and they're going down there saving the guys and then the worm pulls up right as Timmy's you know going through a bunch of shit I think visually as well the worms I mean anything I haven't even talked about the worms anything with the worms I think is very very cool in this movie and 100% you, you couldn't have done it you know until pretty recently I think with you know obviously they tried in the 80s and you know I haven't seen most of that movie but I assume it's terrible but I think just that scene as a whole it really just shows like the the relationship between Oscar Isaac and, and Timmy as well. And um, yeah, I'm a fan of it. I, I don't know, but you know, all in all sort of the, like you were saying, going back and forth between the visions and the fucking worms coming, I think it's intense. And it, it's something that, you know, got me off the edge of my seat a little bit. So yeah. All right. Let's move on to our next category. Another new category. Let's talk filmmaking. We are full sail university. We take dreams seriously. Uh, obviously, I don't know. I'm a film school almost graduate here in May, or we can hope that I'm going to graduate, right? Uh, <laughs> so I figured we would do a little bit of like a deep dive into like some some choices that are being made, or like maybe like a filmmaking lesson almost about you know specific things they do in each movie, and it's pretty broad, pretty open. Uh, but Cody does apparently have something, so we'll get it started with the non-expert opinion. <laughs> fair enough um yeah i did bring something along uh to you know class today so you know not trying to be a teacher show and tell yeah 
basically Denis, um, and I've seen this in a couple of his other movies as well, he likes a, a good establishing shot. And um, nothing wrong with that. I, I think a rivalry does it about as good as you can, showing off the the elegance and, you know, the simplicity of the spaceships. But here, I think he might overdo it a little bit. I mean, I think there's three or four specific shots where it's just like a ship slowly rising or something slowly coming out of the ground. And I think when you use that correctly, it can be amazingly effective, like it is an arrival. Um, but when it just it keeps happening, it's like... Yeah. It's like it we get, takes away the importance in the moment. And also, I think for a movie with so much in it, it, it makes the runtime a little bit excessive. But I still think... Put a little good. Zack Snyder on us there. <laughs> if you take away the slow-mo, this has got to be like an hour shorter. <laughs> But uh, I think it can be very effective. And I think the first couple times in this movie, it is pretty effective. But on the like third and fourth one, it's kind of, I was like, even me, I'm, I'm no film buff out here, but I was kind of like, come on, dude, like, we get it. You're, you're a good director. But uh, yeah, that's my piece to uh, the film school today. So thought I'd bring that up. Yeah. I think it's almost just like, look at this like insane VFX thing that we just did and like just be in awe of it. But like when it happens so many times, it takes away from the other ones. So, what I wanted to talk about, I actually have two different things, um, for, and they're mostly related to like VFX stuff. Um, so the first one is typically, you know, they, they shoot these, you know, like Marvel movies, these big budget movies on these giant sound stages, and everything is just a blue screen or a green screen, right? Yeah. And the reason they use those colors is typically like they don't appear in, in like most human clothing. They don't, they definitely don't appear in hum, any shade of human skin. Nobody's green or blue. Um, whereas like if you use an orange or a red or a pink or a darker color, like that, those pigments appear in people's skin. Um, but for this movie, they used what they called sand screens instead of green screens. And they were brown colored, which is actually really interesting because I mean, that, that is a color that appears in people's skin in this movie, but they were able to match it with the colors of the desert and then use chroma keying, which is when they take a color and remove that color from the scene and then it, it created this more mat, more natural look because like the background and the lighting hit off the the brown better and it, it kind of fit the scenes that they were creating um, instead of, you know, just being on a blue, bright blue sound stage, um, which can cause, you know, some VFX issues. Um, now with that, I can't imagine that they were able to get a perfect chroma key out. So I, they probably did a decent bit of rotoscoping in these scenarios, which is when the, someone literally goes in and draws a line around the person there's rotoscope artists, they draw lines, cut them out, and then every frame they're redoing it. Uh, they li- used to literally cut the person out of the sheets of film. Now you obviously do this all digitally, but uh, just really interesting that they, they would do something like that um, and seem to obviously be pretty f- effective. Um, also talking about the the sandworms, those were obviously done entirely computer generated. And Wait, they, those they, aren't real? <laughs> they didn't shoot those out in, uh, in Jordan the they wanted them to be kind of like whales like the teeth are very similar to like that finding nemo scene where you see the whale teeth um and then like when the the desert moves underneath them obviously all that desert particle is generated um but they used water simulations to basically simulate the sand moving so they used the same thing that uh, a software that i actually am using in my computer uh 
graphics vfx class called houdini which does really amazing water simulations like the good dinosaur they did all the, the simulations for the water in that so they took the sa- they took basically a water simulation and they just turned it into sand to create the look of the sandworm rising out which i think is really cool and then the last thing is just to do with the sound of the foley artists special effects a lot of things denis wanted them to go out and record sounds not like in some studio so they did they took a fake documentary realism approach to go out into nature and like capture sounds and then manipulate them and use them in the film, like the shifting sand, like they actually filmed that on location. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the sounds, uh, I feel like if you go out and do it yourself, uh, you get some, some cool stuff. And I do like the, the water simulation as well. Uh, I feel like that's super creative and uh, just turning it to sand. I mean, in a sense it is, it's going to move the same way if something's, you know, taking it out from underneath. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Good, good uh, film school day, my guy. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, next one is weird movie details trivia, baby. Naked grandma. Naked, huh? <laughs> yeah, I got two baby. questions. What about you? I have two Webb? as well. Okay. You want, me, you want to give you a softball off the bat? Yeah, I'll start with the easy one. Start off season three, you know, I'm feeling nice. So we'll give Corbin a couple pretty points. I'll here. start. I have an easy one for you as well. Okay. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, my first question. Obviously, there are a lot of Marvel Cinematic Universe actors in this uh, movie. Uh, however, I'd like you to name the two DCEU actors in this movie. Go. Uh, Jason Momoa and David Dekalsmi. Ah, you're fucked. <laughs> I thought that might slip by. But... It took me a second. I, if you ask me all the MCU actors, I would take... I mean, it's not that many. Decent amount. Dave Bautista, Oscar Isaac, Stellan Skarsgård, Zendaya. David Dushmolton, Ant-Man. Who? David Dushmolton, whatever his name is. He's an Ant-Man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's also Polka Dot Man, so... All right. Easy question. Good softball. Yeah. Here's my uh, easy question for you. Who directed the 1984 Dune? My next question is about that movie, and I didn't look at the draft. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, who would have directed that movie? It was 19, what, 84? 1984. He's still making movies, still a director. Uh, oh, man, he made a piece of garbage back in the 80s for sci-fi. I'll tell you the last time a movie of his came out. I'll probably help, you know, little to none. Um, uh, I don't even know. He's done a lot of documentary shorts. <laughs> that helps. Recently, I, done some I, music I, videos. Yeah. I don't know the last like major movie he directed. Um, JJ Abrams. I'll tell you some <laughs> movies he directed. He directed okay. Twin Peaks, Firewalk with Me. He directed. He wrote on Twin Peaks for two years. Directed. He wrote Mulholland Drive. Okay, I know that. Inland Empire. No, uh, is it like a classic director? I have no idea. Shoot me his name. Eraserhead. He wrote and directed. David uh, Lynch. David Lynch. Yeah, I do know that name, but I would never guess. He would make shitty sci-fi in the eighties, to be fair. But uh, yeah, no, I would never guess that. Appreciate the softball. Uh, <laughs> I, wait, actually, I, I came up with another uh, question. Huh? I have another question for you. Okay. It's, e- it's easy. You ready? Yeah, what, go for it. What MCU actor was in the Dune 1984? 
kind what? Of a, kind of a trick question. Um, they have not made an official appearance yet. In the okay, MCU. well, I know who it is. This is my question, you idiot. <laughs> oh. Well, I knew it, so. <laughs> well, that's. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'll answer that later. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'll answer <laughs> later. All right, my next question. Who played Timothy Chalamet's role in the 1980s version of Dune? That's well, it. I didn't think he played his role. <laughs> Just give me a name. We're talking about. I, we're talking. I thought we were talking about Patrick Stewart. Is that not who we we're talking about? Oh, I was not talking about him at all. Oh, He's I don't know. Dune? Yes. <laughs> uh, I don't know who. Yeah, because he didn't. That's. I think he played Gurney Halleck. Or maybe he played his dad. Um, either way, I don't know. I can't remember his name. I know what he Gurney looks like. Halleck? The... What? Gurney Halleck is who That's Thanos plays. Cole. Oh, Gurney Halleck. Yeah, okay, that guy's from Google. But yeah, you don't know who played uh, Timmy's role in 1985? 1984, whatever? It's Kyle McLaughlin, who was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh. <laughs> so technically, he is in the MCU. Uh, nope, also, not canon. It was that guy from Twin Twins Peak, Twin Peaks, whatever. Have you seen that show? Yeah, I've seen Patrick, it a couple Sorry, Patrick, Patrick Stewart plays uh, Gurney Halleck. Yeah, Which, I'm gonna have to check that out, dude. I, I like to see a little young Patrick Stewart, a little Kyle McLaughlin. I think that'd be decent. Some terrible effects, I'm sure. But yeah. All right, last question for you. There's a famous documentary that came out in 2013 titled "Blanks Dune." And it chronicles a director in the mid-1970s who almost directed a version of Dune, but then it basically it was like going to cost so much money, like an insane amount of money. He had this insane vision for it. It was going to be this massive project, and it was lost to time. And they, they made this documentary about it, which features the guy's last name. Um, what are your thoughts? I think that's super interesting. Uh, somehow I've never heard, never heard about this either. Side note: Did you know that the Beatles almost made Lord of the Rings, uh, like in the fifties or sixties or whatever? Uh, I think I'm, I've I'm, heard about that, but I'm I guess that's fitting that Peter Jackson then went and made a a documentary about him. How cute! Um, I don't know. What is the seventies? Who's the who's the biggest director of the seventies? Uh, how about Francis Ford Coppola? Did he try to make Dune? Nope. Uh, would you like? <laughs> would you like options? Yeah, give me options. Uh, Steven Spielberg. No. Stanley Kubrick. That's possible. Wim Wenders mm-hmm. and Alejandro Jodorowsky. Well, I only know those last two people, so I'll just uh, you know, it's definitely not that mofo Spielberg. So I'll go for the obvious. You know, what's his face? I, I can't even remember his name. Uh, Kubrick, Jesus Christ, yeah. Did he try to make Dune? Was Alejandro Jodorowsky. And it's I was gonna say Kubrick. Jodor- Jodorowsky's Dune is what it's called. The documentary. I would, I would uh, see that movie. Not, but... Wim Wenders directed the movie Paris, Texas, which I guess came out in 1984, so it was still probably yeah. too late to. Have I might have to change up my recast, dude. I want to see Stanley Kubrick direct this movie now. That's a hell of an idea. Well, you know, he he was, you know, contemporary with Frank Herbert, obviously. So, I mean, these movies were, st- these books were still coming out, like, as he was making movies in the 60s, but it could have happened. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I didn't think about that. We're going to throw it to a quick commercial. <laughs> and we'll Let's be right throw back. It. Throw it to the commercial. 
It's been thrown. <laughs> and we're back. Now we're finally going to get to everybody's favorite. Oh, are we back? Can Who can act? Yeah, you said and we're back, so I brought us back. Who can act or who can act? Who can act? Can't? Can. <laughs> oh, okay. Who can act? Wow. Yeah, I got a couple of choices here. Uh, I want to hear yours first, though, Corbina. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I said it to you when you were watching the movie, but I think Jason Momoa is, like, the best part about the movie. Um, yeah. I think every scene that Jason Momoa is in, He's absolutely just chewing it up and taking full advantage of it. Uh, he outshines everybody he's in a scene with from the very first time you see him to the very sad last time you do see him. Uh, he's just great. There's never a dull moment when Jason Momoa is on screen. I agree on Harley. He was my first choice as well. Uh, I did include a question mark next to his name because I'm not sure if he can actually, actually act. But in this movie, he's great. He's having a lot of fun. He's having a lot of fun. He's just like such an unbelievably nice guy too. Such a great role model of Timmy. And I believe around like halfway through it, I even said to you, uh, this guy's toast. He's 100% going to die. Well, you also <laughs> were like, I mean, everyone died to be fair. Well, that's true. I and then they him. also had like said he had had a vision that he was going to die. So you picked <laughs> the guy who was like. Yeah, but just his character as well. You know that guy was going to die. But I mean, it, Momoa, I agree 100%. He, great performance. Uh, and also he's just complete badass. So yeah, hundred percent. But uh, my my second pick, I do have another one, is uh, Oscar Isaac. I think he is very very good in this movie, and um, I think his performance is sort of something that would be very good in in a Game of Thrones type setting where, like, that's his main focus in this movie. Obviously, just the house name, trying to keep everybody alive. And I mean, if that's not Game of Thrones, I don't know what is. But that specific scene with they don't him do a very TV. good job of keeping people alive in that show. Yeah, that's that's why it's a good show. But um, the scene with Timmy in the graveyard, I think, was actually very very good from both of them. And um, you know, specifically where he's talking about, you know, I didn't even want to like come into power, but you know, situation arises, and sometimes you got to step up. And uh, him telling him as well is like, you know, even if you aren't, you're gonna succeed me. Like you're still my son, and I don't give a fuck. I think Oscar Isaac just pulled that off beautifully and uh, yeah, great speech and, you know, rip that guy, which he was in the next one, but definitely good in this movie. What about when he said desert power? That was less cool, but <laughs> still a good performance. He just wants to ride sandworms, dude. Who doesn't? I, mean, I don't blame him. That looked, that looked pretty sick. Um, obviously, like I said, Jason Momoa is great, but I think, and Oscar Isaac is great too as well. Um, but I think the person who like is the best, like, acting chops wise in this is probably one of the smaller names but she plays a prominent role rebecca ferguson in this I don't, I don't uh, think she's that small name, but comparatively like she current culture for sure like yeah. like in in pop culture she's definitely like if you looked who is the best actor people would say it's rebecca ferguson before even watching the movie and then she still i think she is the best just straight actor obviously she was in the greatest showman um and like the Mission Impossible stuff, but like I don't know, is is Mission Impossible really at the forefront of culture? Do people really? I mean, the Golden Globes like The Greatest Showman, but I don't think anybody else cared. Uh, so yeah, but she's not Jason Momoa, she's not Timothy Chalamet, she's not Dave Bautista, she's not even Javier Bardem. I mean, I'd say she's about on the same. She's level. not Zendaya. Oscar, you know? Isaac, and, uh, Oscar Isaac was in Star Wars though, like the big like. 
Uh, and he's gonna yeah, be in a, the MCU. He's in Moon Knight. Oh, like. Dameron. He's got a costume over his face. You can't even see him. Um, yeah, he's also Apocalypse, which is a joke. But I mean, and a, he plays the animated Spider-Man 2099. He's in three Marvel projects. You told me people Spider- don't love Oscar Isaac. I love Oscar Isaac, but I don't think he's a household name like your Batistas and your Zendayas out here, you know? <laughs> your Batistas, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do agree she's very good at this. But uh, I think just her, she probably has the most acting to do in this as For well. sure, for sure. Especially with the one-on-one stuff with Timmy at the beginning and then whatever all the cult shit is too. I mean, she's got a lot going on. So, so yeah. She's not even Oscar Isaac's wife. Did you catch that? It's just yeah. his concubine. Yeah, they're not married. I think I said that during the movie. I was like, wait, what? They're not married? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you really got to pay attention to every line, man. There's stuff they're just, there. Everywhere. They're trying to evade, you know, those taxes, those damn taxes, man. I think you get, I think you're better if you get married. No, married. you're not. Oh, you don't know it. You don't know about it then. Well, they, they have up. dependents, you know. Um, so if you don't marry 100% taxes, are way less. You just keep telling yourself that for your I'm not. <laughs> Who can't act? That's a low blow, but it's true. It's true. <laughs> That's my opinion! Moving swiftly on. Uh, my who can't act. Well, first off, I, I want to throw out some honorable mentions. These people aren't specifically bad, but I think they were just wasted potential. Obviously, Zendaya. I mean, we talked about it before. Not sure what she's doing here. Um, but also Stellan Skarsgård is, is my honorable mention. Um, I think it has less to do with his performance and just some of the choices overall for the character that really just took me out of his performance. Uh, I mean, he really doesn't have that many lines. I feel like he just, it's a lot more menace through vision than anything else. But uh, yeah, it all, we also talked about this a, a little bit earlier as well, but we didn't name Joplin. My worst actor is easily Josh Brolin. I mean, he is about as intense as a human being could possibly be on screen, which I respect. Um, The thing is, like, he's doing the Thanos voice, but, like, that's not his regular voice. (laughs) Yeah, you're also correct there. He's he's going deeper for some reason. And just his first line off the bat, I think, as well, was Oscar Isaac was, like, telling him to smile. He's like, I'll smile as water or something fucking stupid. I was like, I'm gonna hate this guy. <laughs> and then he, and then Timmy's having a bad day, and he legit just starts beating the shit out of him and starts throwing knives and stuff at him. I don't know. His character's kind of a dick, which I'm fine with. But the way he portrays it as well is just like a psychotic dick. Like this guy has no redeeming qualities based off performance. And um, but he just gets killed like a chump. That's also true. He also just yells too much. Actually, I guess yeah. we don't know for sure if he's dead because he doesn't die on screen. But, oh, does he not? I thought he got stabbed or something. I don't think he dies on screen. Oh, but. really? Well, maybe he's alive. Maybe he's he's coming back for part two. But uh, yeah, Josh Brown. I mean, he, I feel like he is the obvious choice here. But I'm still gonna pick him. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, yeah, Josh Brown. We were talking about it, but I also got to go Timmy here. Really? Uh, other, like, I think the boxing is great. I just, I think, I think he's overacting a lot at points, like. He's supposed to seem kind of tough, which like it's Timmy. He's not really tough at all. Like, but he's also like a fifteen-year-old. Like he's playing a fifteen-year-old character is what it's supposed to be. So there's supposed to be some youthfulness and inexperience. But every tries every time he tries to do like the super serious, like I'm the troubled son of Duke Atreides and I gotta take over. And like 
I'll marry the emperor. Like that stuff, like yeah, it does. I don't think he hits it quite right. Yeah, I do agree with that. The stuff near the end where he's like, the chick's like, you're going to claim the throne? Are you fucking kidding me? I know. <laughs> and he's just giving some bullshit speech. Which, I, I, I don't know, maybe like, that's supposed to be in the character of, like, this guy seems like a joke, but... Maybe. I, I mean, he's, he's the chosen one, so, I don't know. That's fair. He's supposed <laughs> to act that way, I guess. Uh, it's sort of... Is Timmy acting but that? is he the chosen was, one? Is that a character? I mean, probably. It's a fucking movie, and they're calling him the chosen one, so I don't know why he wouldn't be. What does the chosen one do? There's <laughs> false messiahs all the time that start jihad wars and well yeah he's gonna start a holy war pretty quick here but um what what is the what even is the prophecy do you know what is he supposed to do just um i think it's supposed to be like the son of i don't know because there's also like this thing of she's having another child um and i know that poses some complications of like is this the other is this other kid the the messiah the chosen one or is it depends if it's a guy i guess but it's something to do with he can bridge like space and time together i believe where he can see the future yeah right, sort of right. a rival thing where you can just view all points of time at the same time i don't fucking know but you know these guys love him evidently and uh he's the chosen one so it's definitely not gonna be his little brother who's the chosen one it's gonna be timmy come on now let's talk recasting you're fired you're fired you're fired you're fired cody stanley kubrick's directing this movie for you now i wish i had that prepared because i think i could actually promote bring a great pitch for with this Cooper spin on it but uh I do have a couple of recasts I'll, I'll uh go for one and then bounce it over to you um you know usually in this category I bring in Dave Batista to replace you know the worst actor turns out Dave Batista's in this movie already which is pretty sad uh however I don't give a fuck we're doing it anyways Dave Batista and Josh Brolin we're just switching them roles okay Batista he's got what four or five lines this like uncle what should we do? Should we attack him? Yeah, fucking attack him, you idiot. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, put Josh Brolin in that role. He could be like, Uncle, get out of the slug. We gotta go. And then Dave Batista's out here, you know, training Timmy Chalamet. I think that would be sick. And it'd give Batista a little bit more arc instead of just being, you know, this this bald, pale guy, which I think he's a little bit wasting this movie, if I'm being honest. So, yeah, that's my recast. Just switch him up. Yeah, I think I think Dave Batista could play that role, but I what? <laughs> Nothing, yeah. Uh, I don't know about Josh Brolin and the other one. I think they, that guy's kind of supposed to seem like a bit of a weakling and like a loser, and like I think Dave Batista kind of like manages to do that with like the bald head and like the creep. Their whole like race of people is weird. I think in the books they're redheads, but they decided to make them bald instead. But you know, no more redhead discrimination. My pick, I will also be replacing Dave Batista, uh, but I'm not putting him somewhere else in the movie. I'm just straight replacing him. And uh, we're taking a little actor called Bruce Willis, and he's coming in. He's already got the bald head. So I'm thinking like Pulp Fiction Bruce Willis. I think that's the move. What are your, what are your thoughts, Cody? I think it's a terrible choice. Isn't Pulp Fiction? He's still got hair on the sides, though. You got to shave off. Well, we'll shave it off. It's fine. But like that <laughs> that attitude, that, you know, that's what oh, I would okay. Maybe yeah. a little bit of unbreakable too, like that that kind of air. I feel like it's a waste of him though. I mean, what what is he gonna do? Is he gonna do the same? What, thing is this a waste of Dave Batista? I mean, everybody's wasting. Yeah. We wait, waste Javier. We waste Zendaya. I mean, everybody just it's a huge yeah. movie. Everyone wants to be a part of it. Let's get Bruce Willis. We'll like get Javier, a Javier guy. 
He got his due. I'd say Zendaya and Dave Batista are wasted. Those are the two. About Stellan Skarsgård. I don't even know what the fuck he is. I mean, <laughs> he gets no time in general, and he's not an integral part of the story. So, I mean, I mean that's the same with Dave Batista's character, but who the fuck cares about those guys? I don't know. I think Bruce Willis <laughs> is the move, man. Yeah, fair enough. All right, my second one, I am getting rid of Stellan Skarsgård, actually. I was just backing him a little bit. But, uh, you know, I want to bring in somebody who can do weird really well. And um, funnily enough, I'm picking Benicio Del Toro. Who... Thought you were going to pick Bill Skarsgård. <laughs> no, no, he disappointed in Eternals, so I had to pass on him. But uh, Benicio, you know, the, the specific role, well, obviously he's in Sicario too, which, so he's worked with me in the past, which is a plus. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a crazy guy in Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a performance I really enjoy from him. So. Let him go off the walls here with this. I mean, this guy's floating around. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. Nobody really does. He's in, you know, sh- shit and sludge or whatever. But I think Benicio, like, he'd be eating the sludge. That's how crazy this guy is. And um, I think you add a little bit of psychoticness to this sort of uh, menacing and antagonistic character would make it a little bit more interesting. This is because of your love for The Last Jedi, right? Yeah, this is uh, this is me giving him another chance after the Last Jedi. So he'd be on his knees begging right now for another role after that, you know, abomination. But uh, I think this could actually fit him pretty well. Yeah, I like that actually. I like Benicio del Toro a lot. I think it is just a weird use of Stellan Skarsgård. Like I don't know, just weird think, that he's the guy that gets put in there. Yeah, I mean it's good for him. I think he should get more like prominent roles where he's maybe the main antagonist and stuff, but. You could have pretty much thrown anybody in that fat suit and, and told him to, you know, mumble at the mouth and it probably would have been the same. We should have gotten Christian Bale and then he would have put on all the weight himself and then yeah. <laughs> how much? Like 350. Yeah. <laughs> that guy was pretty big. I don't know. <laughs> you just gotta go like double what he did for Vice. Yeah, no biggie. <laughs> my uh my recast is uh gonna be recasting that that Jamis character guy, the the one that Timmy thinks he's going to be friends with and then decides to kill. Yeah. Uh, And I'm going to put in Coleman Domingo, who I've talked about on the show in the past. Uh, He was in Zola. He was in uh, the movie you like, The Candyman. Uh, He also is what I think is the best part of Euphoria, maybe besides Zendaya, uh, Coleman Domingo's character, which is he plays our sponsor in the show. Um, I just think he's incredible. His voice is like so deep i don't know it's just he's got an incredible voice got a shout out coleman domingo so and he's just like a phenomenal actor every single thing that he's in i think he's he's incredible and he he plays very different characters i think the character he plays in zola is is crazy because he's like playing two different roles and he does like a crazy nigerian accident at one point and it yeah it's coleman domingo i mean it's it's an probably an underutilization of him but i think it would be cool to like see him even just in those few dream sequences like playing uh Paul's mentor for like just a couple scenes. Yeah. No, I should back them on you. Much better picked than Bruce Willis. I hear, but, and I mean, uh, I guess like he could probably do Gurney Halleck well too. Like, I just don't know if he has like the uh, action chops really. I don't know if he's been in anything that is like physical like that. So, I mean, either way, he's got to fight Timmy. So, right. it works. <laughs> yeah. that's true. That's true. He does. You're right. I guess that's fair. <laughs> but I think Gurney Halleck, like, you got to be like a buff. Like, yeah. You gotta be more intimidating, I think. Yeah, yeah. Have, have sort of that reputation of uh, 
somebody who could kick your ass. But yeah, sure. I actually like that pick a lot. All right. Now we'll move on to our rating. You're going to look at me and you're going to tell me that I'm wrong? Am I wrong? Out of 69 still. We're keeping it classy. Season three, Cody, Dune, the greatest film ever not made. 69 out of 69. What do we got? Uh, it'll be a bit farther away from 69. I don't know where the hell to rate this movie, dude. I feel like my rating is going to be super low. But I think I need to stick with it. Um, I'm going to go with the... I'm going to go with a 54 out of 69. Dune, wrap it. I like it. I got to go. <laughs> I got to go higher. Yeah. 49 out of 69. Still not crazy high for me, but four and a half stars. Slots it in right between her and The Departed. Wait, what'd you give it? A 49? Sorry, sorry. 59, 59. My oh, bad. <laughs> and you said 54, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah okay, my bad. 50, 59. Oh, okay, not that- 49. That yeah. makes more sense for you. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that's right above her, just below uh, the, the departed. departed. Yeah, that's a good spot for it, honestly, I think, for you. It's probably, I mean, for me, it's it's somewhere in the middle. So there's a lot of stuff in the middle, though. But, yeah, I think I think this is still a good movie. I don't want to rag on it too much because it's obviously a good one. Yeah, obviously, we're looking forward to part two uh, whenever it comes out, obviously hasn't even started filming yet. I mean, that was at least the benefit of like the Lord of the Rings. Like they filmed those movies, like in succession back to back. Like if they could have done that with this, um, I mean, I think Denis wanted to, but yeah. the studio I said no. He, he wasn't allowed to. Yeah. That's the, the big difference there, but uh, I'm Jack for the sequel. To yeah. All right. And then now if you, uh, listen to our season finale episode, you remember that we're introducing the new category that we do after our rating here cody do you remember what it's called uh what is it called blockbuster hot takes (laughs) blockbuster hot takes works or uh we have a pod algorithm that's what i referred to it as (laughs) we have a pod which is a joke about Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a joke about an old billboard that Blockbuster used to have that said Netflix has a call or an algorithm. We have a call algorithm. Right. You could you could call Blockbuster, but you can't call Netflix. And we saw how that worked out for him. So I have this Blockbuster movie board game. Basically, there's a bunch of cards. It has basically every movie uh, that's like somewhat famous. It's on these cards. We draw one card every movie. Cody and I get 30 seconds on the clock. And I'm going first today because last time everybody took what I was going to say. <laughs> you get 30 seconds, give a hot take, give your you know basic initial thoughts about it. I'm drawing no f- tomfoolery. We're talking about Dracula. Now, uh, Dracula, there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go with this. And he's a character. So let's, uh, we can just, like a, you talk like about him. She's like Stalin. No, I said it seems like you're Stalin. Um, start the timer. Uh, you ever heard of Bram Stoker's Dracula? Well, I've never heard of it, but yeah, uh, or I've never seen it. But you know, Bram yeah. Stoker obviously, I believe, is the initial author of the Dracula movie. But let's talk about Dracula Untold. Aaron Eckhart, right? No, it was oh, it's that other guy, Luke Bell. Luke Bale. Bell. No. Bell, Luke, 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 Luke Evans, Luke Evans, Evans. Luke Evans. Yes, yes. <laughs> He's in. I remember somebody in Fast and Furious. Uh, Dracula Untold. That's crazy. What's the? Oh, Frankenstein. 
Aaron Eckhart that's, did Frankenstein. That's Aaron Eckhart. That I Frankenstein. That, well. That's a bad movie. Um, yeah, I never saw Dracula Untold. Were they? I think they were trying to start the monster verse with Dracula, though, weren't they? Or was that the Mummy? A little bit both. Yeah. I don't know. That's my time. That's what my thoughts on Dracula. <laughs> All right, Cody, go. Dracula. I mean, I believe Keanu Reeves at one point played a version of Dracula, which is dope. Incredibly kicking shape. Also, Gary Oldman, very good Dracula. Yeah, Corbin's doubting me, but 100% that's true. And uh, yeah, the Luke Evans version, I did like him a little bit more in The Fast and Furious as Jason Statham's, uh, you know, terrible brother who can't do anything right. But I think Dracula movies as a whole, not great. Keanu Reeves was in it, but Gary Oldman yeah. was Dracula. So I was right. Don't ever fact check me again. I what? thought you said Keanu Reeves was Dracula. No, I said he's in Bram Stoker's. Roll it back. But uh, yeah, I think Dracula, bit of an overrated character. But, uh, you know, the, oh, what's the name in uh, Stranger Things? Bob Newby. He dressed up as him for Halloween. So I back that. Other than that, though, not a big fan. Any thoughts on Vlad the Impaler? No. He's like the real life person that Dracula's oh. based on. The guy from Transylvania? Yeah. The hotel? Hotel, hotel. Transylvania. <laughs> three or six or four or something. I think four. Just came out. Four. And speaking of things that just came out and things we can talk about, recommendations. Season three, what have you been into, Cody? What do you got to recommend to the people? I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. I got a couple of wrecks this week. Uh, nothing it's been exciting. a while since we, we did this. It's been a couple of weeks. It has. And I didn't write down too much, so I'm sure I miss a lot. Uh, I'll gather up everything I've seen for uh, the next couple of episodes, but off the bat, I did want to talk briefly about Game of Thrones. Um, I'm actually on the season finale of season three. Um, and uh, to say the least, shit's about to go down. So I'm, I'm hyped for that. And then as well, uh, Corbin and myself actually checked out the first few episodes of Peacemaker. And I watched the next couple ones as, as well on my own. Uh, interesting show. Uh, not, I mean, it's sort did of. Did you finish? Did I finish the entire thing? Yeah. No, no. There's only eight episodes. I wasn't sure how much you watched. I think I'm on. Uh, I think I have like ten minutes left in, in six. Okay, um, I'm, ha- I'm halfway through eight right now. <laughs> okay, you're out of me. Well, I was watching Game of Thrones today, to be fair. But um, yeah, it, it, the first episode was sort of exactly what I expected, and then after that, I don't know what the hell's going on mostly. But it's entertaining, and it's got some interesting themes behind it as well. James Gunn. He's going after some stuff that I really didn't think he was going to touch at all, which I think is interesting. But, uh, yeah, I mean, shit's about to go down on that, that as well. Um, but overall, I mean, if you just like, like weird comic book stuff, I, I'd honestly recommend Peacemaker. Um, other than that, though, I mean, I, I don't know. That's pretty much all I got. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think I want to talk about Peacemaker as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, it is pretty good. I think I enjoyed the characters Peacemaker more in the suicide squad movie and i think expanding upon it hasn't necessarily increased the way i like him i i think the vigilante character is really interesting that they've introduced it's a little annoying but it's fun um i think a lot of the humor is just like take it or leave it like sometimes it's funny and sometimes it just like doesn't hit with me but like it probably hits with other people and i think that's just james gunn can be a little bit like that sometimes um and this is like unfettered nonstop, rated r like let me put in every joke that i think of here um so some of the humor doesn't quite always hit but i think it's an interesting storyline 
I think the acting is also very bad. So, okay, I want to talk about, so in particular, I don't think the the guy who plays Mern, the African-American guy, I can't remember his name. I think he's really bad in the the show up until one specific moment that happens. Um, I don't know if you've gotten to it or yet. I think it's in the sixth episode. Mm, Possibly. Um, But I don't want to say anything about what happens. So, (laughs) Uh, but like, from his performance in the show, James Gunn basically cast him to what many people believe to be the villain of Guardians Three. Ugh. So why uh, he's terrible? I th- I don't think he's good for most of it up until one particular scene where I think he does really well. But uh, yeah, I agree. The acting over the top, like I think the Adebayo character is touchy from there. John Cena again, like I think he's yeah. really good. I think this role is good for him, but I don't think it's as good as when it was just in one movie, right? I think, uh, I think James he's... Gunn's wife is pretty bad too, or his, his uh, fiance, whatever. Oh, that's his fiance. Huh. Yeah. Hardcore, yeah. Yeah, I think she's terrible. Yeah, I think uh, the the vigilante <laughs> character is. I mean, it's right on what it needs to be. Um, I, I but... like vigilante. I like most of the characters. I just don't think the acting is very good. Yeah, that's. I think that's fair. Um, but yeah, Peacemaker. I want to see. We'll see how the resolution turns out, but. I don't know if we needed another show about some white dude with daddy issues, but we got it. So <laughs> that's my final two cents. Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, man, this dude's got some daddy issues. Oh, he's got some bad, big time daddy issues. About as bad of daddy issues as you can get out here. Yeah. yeah. His, uh, his father is something. T2 man himself. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I was so excited when I saw Robert Patrick's name in the opening credits and then they make him this character, which is, you know, fine and everything, but I expected better from Robert Patrick. Uh, just hitting on a couple things since the last time that we met. Uh, I haven't watched a ton because I've been pretty busy, but uh, Robin Robin, we talked about on the show for best animated short. I went and watched it. Uh, you know, it's cute. Yeah, I can see. it's really cool stop motion animation. It's a cute story, but it's not that great. No, I think I'll stick with Robin Robin because on Netflix. However, uh, I watched The Queen of Basketball, which is a documentary short. And I, I agreed with basically what Carter had said about it. It's just like, it doesn't seem like an Oscar winner. So I probably will change. My, I had picked that to win the Oscar. I'll probably change my pick before the time comes. Uh, we just have about a month now from today. Yeah. So it, it's just like a New York Times short, basically. Like, it's like a journal. Like, and they only interview her. And then the resolution kind of sucks. Like the, the end of the story sucks. The 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 finale but it's just because like it's what happened in real life so they can't obviously they can't change like the way it ends like she the whole thing is she's like she's a great basketball player and then an nba team drafter because there was no WNBA when she was playing and an nba team drafter and she just like decided to not go play Hmm. interesting but i think yeah you you had said before your sword is like a news report more than like a a yeah yeah because she's really great she's super charismatic she's a lot of fun so it's cool that she's highlighted so much and she's but it's literally just her doing the talking there's like no interview with anybody else who like was there or saw it so it's just kind of like oh lame yeah um and then uh just a movie that i watched for the first time it's called this is where i leave you i know jackson's actually a big fan of it it's jason bateman it's actually got a pretty pretty solid cast um jason bateman from, tina fey yep Corey stoll katherine <laughs> Hahn. we got some mcu names in here yeah. adam adam drivers here jane fonda uh no i don't think paul rudd's in this dex <laughs> dex shepherd's there ben schwartz 
Um, just a lot of, you know, big names in comedy, obviously. So uh, Jackson described it in his review on Letterboxd as like a, a coming of age movie for adults. And I think that fits really well. Uh, Adam Driver is phenomenal in this. Adam Driver is amazing and everything, but his character is just this huge asshole. And it, it's just, it's fantastic. Adam Driver is the best. So um, yeah, definitely check out This Is Where You Leave You. It's on HBO Max. Oh, is it? Nice. I'm going to check that out then, honestly. Yeah. Good reaction. All righty. This is the end of our first episode of season three. Thank you all for listening. Follow us at Cat Podcast, K-H-A-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. And we're excited for a lot of great things coming in season three. Guest on next week, some you know, more current movies, some drafts. So we've actually been recording some stuff this past weekend that you won't see for a while, but I think it'll be pretty fun. So a (laughs) lot of things to look forward to. We hope you stick around. And if you want to be a guest, hit us up. Let us know. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. Stay cap. Peace. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response Were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul.